You got to love that in the midst of our our glorious imperfections, Todd. God is still good, right? And and the Spirit is not dependent on us getting things right. Um, and the Spirit does not need us to be perfect for Him to do His glorious work to awaken our hearts, to stir our affections, to convict us of our sin. And so let's pray. And let's pray that the Spirit would move and that, that God would inform us and teach us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for our ability to laugh, uh, for the, to be a family united by the blood of Christ. And, and Lord, that when we cry out to You, You listen to us, that You hear, that You hear our prayers, that they reach Your throne. And that in response to our prayers, we can receive your steadfast love and the forgiveness that you offer, which is a true forgiveness. God, we pray that you would open our hearts to your word. That the spirit that indwells us would convict us of our sin, would affirm us of your righteousness and your love. It would move to draw us closer to you. We didn't come here necessarily needing to see each other. We didn't come here um, needing much besides you. And so through our time of study earlier this morning, for those of us who were here for it, through our time of, of singing of your goodness and of your holiness, and now through our time of sitting under your word, We pray that you would give us yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've all been in a situation where a friend, a coworker, a family member, they come to you and they say those magical words, I have good news and I have bad news. How many of you always opt to hear the bad news first? Any of you? How many of you are good news first people? Give me the good news. It'll lighten the load of the bad news. How many of you really don't care? You just want to get it over with. All right. So one day I came home and I had a letter that, that seemed to be good news. It was that I had been selected. And I, I, you know, you feel privileged. Oh, I got picked. Oh, this is great. And then, and then I read the rest of it and it was for jury duty. And the bad news in that case outweighed the good news because I was going to get to go sit in a stuffy courtroom, be asked questions I didn't really want to answer, all to find out that in the end I didn't get picked, which was the best news of all. Or sometimes you, you take your car to the mechanic and they say, I have bad news. Some part you've never heard of before and could never spell for the life of you is broken, but the good news is that it's under warranty and it'll be completely free. And like, woohoo! Um, And in that case, the good news outweighs the bad news. We started this year talking about our theology of Jesus and and knowing who Jesus is, wanting to have a a filled out Christology. So we talked about Jesus as our royal creator. And then last week, Dave brought us the, the, the horrible news that we're all sinners. So thanks, Dave. We appreciate that. You did a very 
a very fine job of, of filling out that part of our theology. But we need that. We need to know who we are because there's so many, sometimes we can look at Jesus and be like, Jesus is great. I'm great. We're going to get along just fine. And we need to know that Jesus is great. He's holy. He's righteous. The whole Godhead is holy. And Jesus is just as offended by our sin as the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we need to realize that our sin is a big deal indeed. And so this morning, we're going to be diving into Romans 5. I invite you to get out your Bibles as as you're taking notes to follow along in the passage. And, And we're going to look at some bad news and some good news. And so first is the bad news. And the bad news is is very bad indeed. And before we get into the bad news, let's read. We're going to read Romans 5, 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of God. Uh, of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following, one, following many trespasses brought justification. For if because one man's trespass death reigned, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so the act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespasses, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So for those of you who raised your hands that you prefer the bad news first, this is your day. Here's the bad news. And the bad news is the judgment Have you ever gotten in trouble because you were next to someone? I remember one time when I was in school, I got detention because the guys I was sitting with at lunch were acting up. Now, I may have been laughing at their jokes. It's highly probable. Um, Either way, guilt by association is a real thing. And it's not only a real thing for adolescents, this is a real thing for, for us, spiritually speaking. We are associated with Adam. And when it comes to Adam, we are guilty by association. And you might be sitting there saying, what does Adam have to do? Why is my guilt tied to Adam's? 
What does he have to do with me? What does he have to do with you? And, and there's some people that say that Adam opened the pot- potential for everyone to sin. And because Adam sinned, we all have the potential to sin. And it just so happens that every person through history has sinned, but there's, with every baby born, there's the potential they won't sin. That belief is called heresy. Okay? So if you're sitting there thinking, like, hey, this is a really good idea, like, I, I think that's Pelagianism. And, and, and let's just steer away from that. That belief is heresy. Because that opens up the possibility that there could be a group of people who are perfect all the way through and that Jesus died for nothing because we really could do it our own if we were only smart enough and tried hard enough. See, when Adam sinned, he learned something. He ate of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And when he ate of that, he learned something. He learned what it was to disobey God. He learned sin and he could not unlearn that sin. Or sin in general. And when he sinned, he didn't just pass that knowledge on to us. It's, it's not like, you know, like, here's, the, here's the ABCs, we're going to sing the alphabet song, and then we're going to learn about sin. Like that, you know, you don't have to teach sin. Like none of us parents have ever had to teach our children how to sin. Nor were any of us like, oh, I'm so glad they learned that. Now they can be a human. Oh, you disobeyed me. Just like your old man. So proud. You know, we don't have that moment in parenting. When Adam sinned, he didn't just open the potential for sin. He wove it into our DNA. So that we are sinners, not just by choice. It's not just that we choose to sin. We are also sinners by nature. It is very much in the fabric of who we are. We are not just sinners by choice. We are also sinners by nature because of Adam. He wove it into our DNA. Here's here's one way of talking about the implication. Imagine I brought 55 skunks into this room. And I sat up here with an airsoft gun and just started shooting them. What are the skunks? And and while I'm doing that, I'm also sounding off an air horn. Like, what's going to happen? There's going to be a fog in here. We're like, we're, and, and who's going to get sprayed? Who's going, to, who's going to stink? Every single one of us is going to stink. Because the actions of one fool, all will be smelly. This room will never be the same again after that. And you will go and you will work hard. And eventually you might get that stink out. But you will walk out, you'll go to lunch, and you will clear whatever restaurant you walk into. Because one person was an idiot, one person was a fool, one person did something wrong, everyone suffers. Adam broke God's rule. And this isn't something we can scrub out on our own. This isn't tomato juice won't take your sin away. We need something that goes much deeper than that. Because it's not just a a stink that's in our hair, on our clothes, on our skin. It is something that goes deep into the very fabric of our being. It goes into our soul. I know we were not in the garden with Adam and Eve when they sinned. But when Adam sinned, it went deeper than a one-time simple mistake. It disrupted humanity. It disrupted the capacity at which we bear the image of God. It didn't 
cause us to cease in bearing God's image, but it disrupted our capacity in, in bearing the image of God. It became part of our DNA. The bad news is that because Adam sinned, we all have sin as part of our natural state. The sin of one man, verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We all face the consequence of sin. We all face the, the consequences of the fall. We are all dead in our trespasses on our own. We are all dead in our sin on our own. There's no way of getting around it. And there's a possible objection here in Romans. As Paul's been writing through Romans, he, he's explaining the gospel. This is Paul's dissertation on the gospel. And he, he takes away false beliefs as he goes on. And one false belief he takes away earlier in Romans is that the law could lead us to righteousness. Here I have, here I have the Pentateuch. If I just do everything in here perfectly, I will become righteous on my own. And Paul says, no, that'll, that'll never fully work because the point of the law isn't, isn't necessarily leaders to righteousness. The, the law, what it really does is it, is it points out all of our sin. Because before the law, you might have thought you were doing three things wrong and then you read the law and you realize you're doing a whole lot more wrong. And Jesus only expanded that more. He goes, look, you think, you think adultery is wrong? You say adultery is wrong. I'm telling you this. It doesn't take physically going out and sleeping with someone. If you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. You say murder's wrong? I'm telling you this. If you hate someone, that's murder. And so the law magnifies our sin. It points it out. But look at what Paul says here. He says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. So you could say, oh, if there's not a rule against it, how could it be wrong? You know, there's no speeding in Montana kind of thing. Well, there is now, but there was that brief moment in time where it was fantastic and there wasn't. This isn't a, it's only wrong if you get caught. This isn't a, it's only wrong if there's a rule. No, what, what, the, law, what the law did is it came and said all these things you've been doing are wrong. They were wrong before the law. And here's how we know they were wrong before the law. Because they were still punished before the law was given. Verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. The period of time where we didn't have the law yet, death reigned. A few years ago in our adult Bible fellowship, we studied Genesis. And the first genealogy in Genesis is just one of the most depressing records of people ever. Because we've, we've just had the garden where Adam and Eve got kicked out for sinning. And it says you're going to die, uh, but there will, be, there will come a descendant from the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And so there's this, oh, who's going to be born that's going to undo this curse? Who's going who's to kill the snake? Well, maybe it'll be Abel. No, Abel died. Maybe it'll be Cain. No, Cain got kicked out and he died. Maybe it'll be Seth. No, Seth died. And that genealogy in Genesis, this person lived and then they were dead. And then they were dead. And then they were dead. Death was the theme. Death reigned. It was inescapable. And it's still inescapable. And we still go through great lengths to avoid death. 
We spend who knows how much money as a culture and as a world finding ways to avoid death, to prolong death. Death has has one loss. Except for Jesus, death is undefeated. Jesus conquered death. Other than that, it's undefeated. The exception of maybe Enoch for you like Bible quiz geniuses. And Elijah, okay? Three, three misses. Pretty good record over time. Lazarus died again. He didn't escape the grave. He eventually died again. The poor guy had to do it twice. Death has a pretty good track record. We're not going to escape it. No one, no one except for Enoch did between Adam and Moses. Death reigned. Even over those whose sinning, going on in 14, was not like the transgression of Adam. It wasn't just, hey, if you eat the wrong fruit, then you sin, and out of that, you're you're good. Which would have been really convenient after they got kicked out of the garden, because then no one could have done that sin anymore. Like, none of us can eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's just not an option for us. Right? We're good. But once sin entered... Once sin entered, it just multiplied. It took one generation for sin to go from eating fruit to murder. Pretty easy to imagine a lot of other stuff was going on in there. Different forms of deceit or bitterness. Death reigned. God wasn't up there saying, oh man, I don't have a law There's no way to tell if these people are sinning or not. Should have thought this out better. It wasn't God. He wasn't wasn't dumbfounded up there. What what do I do now that that the one rule's broken and that's not an option? Sin was continually passed down. The picture went from bleak to bad and just never came back. It was just sin, 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 sin. And death reigned over that whole time. All sin was still wrong. All sin is wrong. Not just Adam's. As we keep going, we, we need to keep going in 14. Uh, I'll start over. Even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. See, God, in, in so, so many times in history, has dealt with humanity through a head of sort. And Adam was a head. And he was a type of the one to come. So here it is. We have this guy, and here's how he was a type of the one to come. Paul's going to explain this. That he sinned, and everyone who came after him sinned. So there must be one to come whose life is going to lead many in a different direction. and who who from one, many are going to go a different direction other than death. Well, that that points us to the good news. Adam being a type points us to the good news, and the good news is the gift. Adam was only a type. He wasn't the end-all, be-all of humanity. And him being a type, this good news, this gift means that there's something better, there's something greater. 
The good news is that there's something different than death. And it is the free gift of grace. Grace is a far cry from sin. While, while the two carry some similarity in both the bad news of the judgment and the good news of the grace, a death occurred. In the bad news, it was, it was Adam and Eve. They spiritually died. All of us spiritually died. And in the good news, the grace came through the death of Christ. But grace has a very different outcome. It brings us life. And it brings life to the many who believe. And the differences between these two far outweigh their similarities. Where sin takes us from dignity. Sin takes us from unity with God. Sin takes us from life. Grace gives us standing before God. It gives us eternal life. It gives us honor. Sin and grace also differ in their result. The end result of sin is judgment. And that's where sin goes. That's where sin leads us to. But grace leads us to justification. As Paul put it in Colossians, that the the legal demands of our sin were nailed to the cross. We stand justified before God. If that wasn't startling enough, look at Look at the wording in verse 16 here. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. We did not inherit sin and death from Adam because of the sin over his whole life. If Adam only ever committed the one sin we would be in the same position. If Adam was completely perfect after getting kicked out of the garden, he ate the fruit, lived a perfect life after that, only had the one blunder, we would be in the same position we're in now. It is through his one sin that death came and reigned in all humanity. And even even for us today, Let's imagine for a moment you only sin five times in your whole life. Wouldn't that be great? How much simpler would life be if we only sinned five times? We would still appropriately receive God's judgment. Even if we each sinned once, judgment from God would be fully warranted. Verse 16 says, For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the, next, the rest of that verse is what really should shock us and stir us. But the free gift, it's one gift, not many gifts, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So one sin brought us all, all the, the judgment we could ask for. And then you compound that with our daily sins spread out over just one year. Not to mention the decades. And the weight of the judgment that is due us is insurmountable. You remember David praying in the psalm, Oh Lord, if you marked our sin, who could stand? None of us. We have all that sin, we have all that judgment, 
but one singular act of grace of Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting. One singular act of grace provides us full justification that we can stand fully right before our God in heaven. Before the holy God of heaven. One act of grace wipes out all the acts of sin that have incurred judgment on us. Not just from before we're saved, but from after the moment of salvation. We can keep coming and crying out. And God's forgiveness and His steadfast love, they never cease. The bad news is that one sin lands you in eternal judgment. But the good news is that if you sin two billion times a day for 30 years or more, you can still be justified through that singular act of God's grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. The good news is that death is not the only reigning force at work here. Nor is it the most powerful force at work. Verses 17 to 19, they, they drive the same point home three times. And, and they, it said that one man brought, brought judgment and one man brought righteousness and justification. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Jesus is the one who was to come, who has come, and who has fulfilled God's word for him and fulfilled the work that God put out for him. There are a couple... You know, verse 17 says, For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I want to look at a couple implications here. One is that while sin is for all, the free gift is for those who believe. Sin has come to all of us much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. As much as we want it to be, salvation is not universal to everyone. You need to pray to Jesus. It is only through the blood of Christ that you can receive salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. While sin is inherited in a DNA-like fashion, grace and righteousness are, are the gift that is received through faith. Romans 3.23-26 here, it says, For all of sin fall short of the glory of God. We all, we all know that verse. We memorize that early. We live it out often. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is, in Jesus, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He has passed over former sins. Here it is. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Not of the all from 3.23, which is what we, we want. Well, let's just include everyone. All have sinned. God is the just justifier of those who have faith. Salvation is the free gift of grace through faith. 
The second implication is that the reign of sin in your life, if you're a believer, ought to be a past tense description. If you have not yet come to salvation in Christ, it can be a past tense description. That sin no longer reigns. That Jesus reigns. That He is now your taskmaster instead of the flesh. As I said earlier, once you hear both the bad news and the good news, you can determine ultimately if this is good or bad news. For me in the mail, the the bad news of jury duty far outweighed the good news that I was selected for something. Like the publisher clearinghouse. That would have been fantastic. Didn't happen, Dave. Sorry. But here, the good news wins out. And not only has the good news won out already, but the good news gets better. Because there's really good news. And the really good news is that the gift of grace exceeds the judgment. That the gift exceeds I'm going to read verses 20 through 21 here. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is... This really ought to be, and, it, and we'll get to where this is a light, encouraging part of the sermon, but, but before we get there, there's a couple tragedies that happen. These, these grieve my heart. I really believe they grieve the Lord's heart. These two tragedies. The first is when a regular church attender tries to live as a believer without ever dethroning sin and judgment. Here's what I mean by that. People who go to church all their life, They assume a vicarious salvation because their parents are saved. My parents are saved. My parents have a big Bible. My dad reads his Bible every day. Therefore, I'm saved. I like Christians. I'm saved. You'll never find a place in the Bible where it says, Therefore ye, if ye have a father with a large Bible, ye shall be saved. It's not in there. Thankfully, because it's a lot of yeast. Nor will you find, if therefore you like Christians and enjoy their good company and dry sense of humor, then you shall be saved and inherit the kingdom of God. It's not in there. Therefore, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. This is you. It's not your parents. It's not your friends. It's you. And I've known people who have gone through much of their life going to church, going through the motions, while never saying, Jesus is Lord. I put my faith in him. I'm done doing it on my own and and therefore dethroning sin. And so they put themselves on this exhaustive course of sin management without the aid of the Holy Spirit, without the indwelling of God in their heart. Don't do that to yourself. Don't beat yourself up doing the impossible. All the while, there's a free gift of grace 
and a God who loves you, who wants to help you in this, and who wants to save you. Don't rest on your own laurels. Entrust yourself to Jesus. Stop trudging through sin on your own. The second tragedy is this. When a believer who has truly been forgiven of their sin, they try to put their sin back on the throne. Even though Jesus is Lord, if this is you, I'm going to speak to you. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you try to sit under sin and judgment. And this happens in a few ways. Here's how we try to rethrone sin. One is through lifestyle. Even though your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, you openly walk in sin through anger, jealousy, coveting, sexual morality, drunkenness, and and the list could go on. We try to be united with the world while the Holy Spirit of God is in us. We're part of the body of Christ. This is an exploitation of grace. And Paul gets into this in in chapter 6. Because he just said, the more we sin, the more grace we have. And he says, well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue sinning so the grace may increase? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Don't try to just keep sinning. Oh, I'm saved. I have my fire insurance policy, my hell insurance policy. Now I'm just going to go be part of the world. But I, <laughs> joke's on them. Because when we die, I'm going to go to heaven. Ha! You think God will be mocked by that? You think he'll be fooled? Galatians tells us God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. Do you think Jesus is going to say, Oh, you said I'm Lord of your life, so i got to let you in. God will not be mocked. You will not trick God into letting you into heaven. There's not a grace get rich quick scheme that we can exploit here. So, one way we rethrone sin is through our lifestyle, another is by forgetfulness. And I think this is a lot more common. I think think this one and the next one are much more common for us. Forgetfulness. And this is either forgetting, and this is primarily forgetting what God has done for us. And so our sin is fully forgiven. It's separated from us as far as the east is from the west. They will never be reunited. They will never happen to pass at an intersection. Separated as far as the east is from the west. Not the north to the south, the east to the west. If you're going east and you never stop going east, there will never be a day you find yourself going west. God separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. And while God has separated our sin that far from us, what we do is we sit over here and go, oh, I'm an idiot. Oh, so stupid. 
Oh, no one loves me. Oh, I'm terrible. And we beat ourselves up through self-ridicule of sin that God has pulled as far away from us as the east is from the west. In the Boundary Waters last, last fall, we were, we were packing up camp to travel to another lake. We had a couple of really difficult portages. And while we're packing up, I told everyone to pick up a rock and put it in their pack. One of the guys goes, well, won't that make them heavier? I'm like, yes. And after our first difficult portage, I told him, your rock resembles the sin that we so easily just carry with us and we never deal with. These sins that we're willing to tolerate. Pride or bitterness or resentfulness. And, and you name the list, and a couple of guys said, well, I'm going to need a bigger rock. And that, that day, after we were set up in camp, the guys spent time going through some questions. And one of the questions is, what was it like knowing that you were carrying your sin unnecessarily? And what was it like knowing that someone else was carrying your sin and facing the consequences of your sin? And that night, we paddled out onto the lake under the stars, and it was completely still. We were over a spot of the lake that was 130 foot deep. And after each of us had dealt with our sin, individually, we dropped those into the water. There are now those rocks that, that we, had, we had spent time meditating, like here's the stuff I carry, are, will never be seen again. That lake will never dry up. No one's going to accidentally haul in those rocks with a fishing lure. Those rocks are just as good as gone. Your sin is as good as gone. No longer do you need to sit there punishing yourself for it. And the last way we, we rethrone sin is through a lack of faith in Jesus' work. We say, okay, I know the Bible says that if I confess my sin, that God is just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. But the Apostle John, when he wrote that, could not have fathomed what I have done. How special is your sin? How special and unique is your sin that God is somehow able to forgive the rest of us, but not you? How special is your sin that someone like Paul, who persecutes believers, can be forgiven but you're not able to be forgiven. Believe God's promises. Believe what Jesus has done for you. Do not discount the power of God to forgive you of your sin. For both of these tragedies, I want to look to some assurances that we have in this passage. Verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Grace will always exceed judgment. The law increases sin, and as sin, as the pile of sin keeps growing, grace is just going all the more. The pile of sin will never be bigger than the pile of grace. Let's think for a second of God's economy. There's not going to be, like, God's not up there. He's like, oh, man, oh, this is bad budgeting. Oh, I only, I only set aside this much grace for Chuck, and he's just way worse than I thought. 
You know, it's not like I'm sitting there like, like one bad day and I'm going to run out of grace. Meanwhile, Dave is sitting on mountains of grace because he only sins inwardly. He never sins against anyone. He's just, he's like as close to perfect as we're going to get. Right, Shelly? Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to out-sin God's grace. There's a song we sing. My sins there are many. His mercy is more. And the other thing we need to see here is that the grace available to us through Jesus, Jesus, this new Adam, this man, Jesus Christ, the grace available to us through Him has dethroned sin and judgment. Before Jesus, death reigned. But now, grace reigns. And not only is death no longer an option, death is far from the strongest option. It's not like we're sitting here saying, oh, I'm going to pick to sit under the throne of grace, and I really hope at the end of the day it's enough. Grace is more powerful. It is dethroned judgment. We are no longer imperfect people awaiting an impending doom. Instead, we are defined by the reigning grace of Jesus by which we are made new. We are forgiven. We are adopted as children of God. And instead of living in in abundant sin, we can live under God's abundant grace. Grace reigns. And if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus... I ask you, before you leave this morning, that you will say, I am done sitting under the weight of judgment. And I am ready to sit under the grace of God. I am ready to be united with Christ through faith and be forgiven of my sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your holiness. We thank you for your holy word, God. And the sure promises that if we confess our sin to You, that You will not only forgive us, but that You will cleanse us. God, I pray that You would cleanse us. And we thank You for Jesus, the new Adam, through whom we can have life, through whom sin has been dethroned. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.